Where do you keep your money? Cash, savings, in the bank, that's gonna go right up there for most people. And that's what keeps them poor. Cash money is one of the worst proven asset classes. Of course, you can invest in all sorts of schemes and scams, but take any proven asset class that has been decades or centuries of proof of store of wealth, cash money would probably be the worst. Now, on August 1971, President Nixon removed cash money from the gold standard and fiat currency was created. Essentially, money printed initially as paper and now as debt. So money is now debt. Money used to be asset and money is now debt. Money used to be asset because for every dollar, there was the gold equivalent in reserve. Now, for every dollar, there's $10 loaned out and no dollar in gold reserve because what used to be the gold reserve has now become the fractional reserve banking system, which I'll explain in a moment. So if you let's look at some assets from 1971. Gold, up and up and up and up and up and up and up since 1971. The stock market, up and up and up and up and up and up since 1971. Real estate, even more, up and up and up and up since 1971. Cash money, down. Down like a vertical slide covered in Vaseline. Down, down. I don't know what you could buy for a pound or dollar in 1971. But I'd be surprised if you could buy a hundredth of that now for a pound or dollar. So, savers are losers because cash money is probably the worst proper asset investment class. So, Here's a few reasons why cash money is now even worse and why saving is probably one of the worst ways to become wealthy. Number one is a basic economic theory where if interest rates are higher than inflation, you should net make money in savings or lending because you get interest on lending as well as savings. And by the opposite, if inflation is more than interest, you should lose money saving or lending. Inflation is the increasing cost or prices, which lowers the relative spending power of your current money and assets, essentially. So as prices go up, you can buy less for the same amount of money that you had. So inflation essentially devalues money by pushing prices up. Now, I'll tell you something that seems to me like it's a bit of a scam. Whatever inflation is that they tell you, it's actually more. Like if they tell you it's nine, it's probably 15 because they don't include everything that you buy and own in the two main inflation metrics, CPI, RPI. But also, whenever there's inflation, it's passed on to you and more. However, when there's an increase in interest rates, it's not all passed to you. Like, have you ever looked at your bank statement 
and looked at the interest you're receiving and then looked at the interest rate and gone, wait a minute, the interest rate is half a percent, but I'm getting 0.1%. How's that? How's that fair? So a bit of a scam is that you don't get past all the interest. So even if interest rates are going up quite a lot, they've got to be in current climates, 15% plus just for you to be at net zero. So if interest rates are 15%, which by the way, is going to cause major disasters in the economy, and inflation is 15%, which is where that's at least is now, then you net at zero. So right now, inflation is so much higher than interest, you are losing probably in reality up to 15% a year by saving cash money. The next point, I think we're on point three, is that you're lied to about your cost of living. So number one, inflation is way more than they're telling you. And the test is to just look at what you spend and look at what you buy and look at how much it costs. How much does it cost now to go on holiday? How much does it cost to buy milk, cheese and eggs? How much does it cost to buy anything? Does it cost 7% more? 9% more? Or a way load more? Some things are up 50%. Some things are up a, a bit less. But most things are up significantly. So inflation is much higher than you're told. But there's also a concept which some people are calling greedflation. And greedflation is where brands are putting up prices way above inflation. Why? Because they can. Why? Because they have a monopoly. So if you look at Unilever, Procter & Gamble, Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy, Meta, Microsoft, Google, these companies actually own hundreds of brands. Hundreds. So they can push prices up because they compete with themselves. And what's happening is the, the small business owner in the middle is getting priced out. And you've got the illusion of price increase because of inflation, when in reality it's greedflation. Well, look, that's what they're calling it. I don't know. If, if you're a company and you've worked hard for decades and you've bought other companies and you've built this really big brand and the government are just letting you do what you want, why wouldn't you do what you want? It's up to the government to create antitrust and anti-monopoly policy. But right now in our basic commodities, there's monopolies. There's monopoly on energy. There's monopoly on many of the supplies you buy, for example, in the supermarket. So we don't have fair and free price competition. So this greedflation and this monopoly of products is pushing prices up way more than inflation. So you, the value of your spending power is going down. So any money that you hold is going down in value because prices are going up and they're going up from all these different um, it's like a, a gangbang assault on your money. Now, Robert Kiyosaki believes that the US government are in hundreds of trillions of debt. I don't know the exact figure. My business partner tells me that the UK is in 2.2 trillion of debt. So this is another reason why savers are losers and cash money is virtually worthless. Is because trillions of debt generates tens or even hundreds of billions just in interest. And where has the tens or hundreds of billions in interest payments on the government principle of debt, where has that got to come from? You. Your money. And that might be in the form of interest, and that might be in the form of debt. 
So there are three ways that a, a government can pay off its debt. Number one is it can actually pay it off, which they don't seem to want to do at the moment. Governments seem to be in debt for decades. What you used to have to do with um, an economy, an economy, you know, is essentially a, a governmental balance sheet. You would be in surplus or deficit. And by the end of the fiscal period, you would try and equalize the surplus or the deficit. If you had surplus, you'd want to spend and invest it into infrastructure. And if you had deficit, you wanted to bring it back up to neutral. By the way, if you're always in deficit, that's insolvency. And if you're a small or medium-sized enterprise and you trade knowingly insolvently, that is illegal and you can go to prison. That can be fraud. You can go to prison for that. But governments do that legally. Governments are al allowed to trade insolvently legally. Doesn't seem right and fair, but <laughs> we put them in power. <laughs> we got to hold them responsible. So they've built these trillions of debt. Much of this spending, by the way, you and I didn't agree to. I didn't agree to hundreds of billions in spending on pandemic. I didn't agree to 150 billion spending on energy price cap. I don't have a choice. <laughs> they just spend it anyway. So they spend our money because it's our money because they're going to get it back from us. And we don't have a choice in it. It doesn't quite seem right. But anyway, political system, <laughs> that's for another piece of content. So... The next way that the governments, the second way that governments can get rid of their debt is they can go bust. And countries have gone bust and that is catastrophic. So countries generally tend to avoid going bust at all costs. The third thing they can do is quantitative ease. Quantitative easing is the production of more money, the creation of debt money into the money supply. So as more money is created, it creates inflation. It creates more money in the system pushes prices up and pushes value down. So as more and more money is printed, of which there's trillions and trillions and trillions, I understand that a vast majority of the total currency in the population of the history of the world ever was printed since lockdown. Go do your research on that. So they print the trillions and it reduces the value of your money and supply, which essentially is another form of inflation. So you've got inflation is already really high, way higher than interest. So you're losing net with your money in the bank. Then you've got the quantitative easing, which is increasing inflation even more. You've got the trillions of debt, which then forces governments to increase taxes. So not only are you losing money on your savings, but your taxes are increasing too. So your gross money is being raided and taxed more. And then your net money is being raided by inflation and the, the funny monopoly money of cash money going down in value. Then, if it, if it couldn't get worse, it does. Then there's the fractional reserve banking system. Now, by the way, you, you might think, oh, Rob's on a bit of a, an attack on money here. I actually think money is a, an amazing invention. Like the wheel's a pretty amazing invention for leverage. Redu reduction of friction and increase in speed. That's the same. The wheel reduces friction and increases speed. Well, money reduces friction and increases speed. Because if we're bartering and swapping dead animals for the odd shoe and what I make for what you make, but I don't really want what you want or I don't really want that amount and I want to go to the next village, but it's too far. 
money increases the fric- increases the speed of exchange of value and reduces the friction significantly. It's one of the best inventions, best inventions that man has made. But it has major downside. Well, it did when it came off the um, gold standard in 1971. So the problem now is it's so easy to print and create because all money really is, is, is an idea. I've got $20 and I trust that the time and passion I put into $20 worth of value is latently stored in this $20. And then when I give it to you, I trust that you're going to give me $20 in exchange. And I trust that the banks will honor it and you will use it and I can use it and it's universally exchanged. But as soon as that trust is gone, that money is worth nothing. And right now, bank trust is down. Central bank trust is down. Government trust is down. So we've got this situation where this amazing invention is starting to lose its value. And the fractional reserve system is a manipulation of the invention of money. So the fractional reserve banking system is where banks only have to keep a fraction of their reserve. So on the gold standard, you'd have a dollar of gold for every dollar of money created. And a bank would usually need to keep a big supply of the money or the gold in case many people together wanted to withdraw their money. But because now obviously the banks generate trillions and it's very unlikely that everyone's going to want their money at the same time. The, frac- the fractional reserve banking system allows for them to lend up, lend or invest up to $10 on the dollar or £10 on the pound. So most banks are only forced to keep 10% of their reserves, i.e. the deposits that you and I put in, actually in the form of cash money. The rest of it, they can lend it out and invest it out. £10 on the pound, $10 on the dollar, buy a factor of 10. So think about this as a bit of a scheme. And a, again, it's a great invention, but it's, it's sort of, it's a scam when it's done onto you. But if you were doing it, you'd, you'd be somewhat of a genius. So I see both sides. But imagine if I pitched you this idea. Let's have a think about this. Give me 100 grand, like 2020 lockdown, when it all starts. Give me 100 grand. In three years, I'll give you 70 grand, which is the deduction of inflation. I won't guarantee you that 100 grand. So by the way, if something happens to my finances, that 70 grand I'm going to give you back, I just won't. You think it's insured by the government, but if there's a revolution, they're not going to insure you. So you've got no guarantee on your money, but give me the 100 grand, I'll give you 70 grand back in three years. And what I'm going to do with your 100 grand is I'm going to factorize it by 10 and I'm going to lend invest it out 10x leverage, and I'm going to make a massive amount of money as an asset on your depreciating liability. Because here's what the banks know. The banks know that money is a depreciating liability. Most people think the money is an asset. This is why the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Because rich people see money as a liability. The banks see money as a liability. As soon as money goes into, onto the bank's balance sheet, they want it off the balance sheet because that money on their balance sheet is going to go down in value. So their net asset value is going to go down. Whereas if they lend and invest it out and they get it out of money and into an asset, their balance sheet is going to go up and their assets are going to go up. 
But the masses are like, money, I need money. Oh, I'm okay because I've got cash. I'm okay because I've got savings. Even though they can't see that it's going down and down and down and down. So the reason that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer is because the poor can only store their wealth in cash money, cash or savings. Whereas the rich store their wealth in assets. You know, the rich have the buy, borrow, die mentality. Or investors buy, hold, die. So if I gave you an asset like gold that was falling apart really quickly, wouldn't you quickly want to stop it falling apart by investing it into something else to protect it and get a return? Well, that's what's happening with cash. And the governments can debase your cash whenever they want. They can whack up inflation super high. They can whack up quantitative easing. There could be a bank run. They could turn your cash savings into a government asset. There were banks in China just recently that basically said, your savings are now government assets, i.e. we're just keeping your money. And it usually only happens at times of revolution or, you know, complete financial meltdown. But look at where we're at right now and look at where we could be. So this shit is real. So money will actually make you poor. So solutions then. I'll give you a quick summary. Savers are losers because one, they're not winning and two, they're losing money. The reason they're losing money is because interest rates are relatively low and inflation is very high. But it's even worse because inflation is even higher. Then the governments are in trillions of debt, which takes tens or hundreds of billions in interest. And that interest has to be paid by your taxation. So your net interest is going down, but your tax is going up. Tax is an invasion on your money. And inflation is an invasion on your money. So you've got double, triple invasion on your money there. The, the banks won't guarantee it. They'll take it. They see it as a liability. They'll lend and invest it out and make on it. So all your money is out. So if you wanted it all back, you couldn't get it because they've only got 10% of it because 90% of it they've sent out off the, um, into an asset, which you should be doing. And I actually, I don't really think there's anything wrong with this. I think it's quite a clever system. It's just you are, if you hold cash money and savings and you don't understand the difference between cash money and assets, and you think cash money is an asset when it's not, then you're controlled by the system. But you can learn to beat the system at its own game and master the system. The governments, they, the Monetary Policy Committee in the UK control interest rates and inflation and monetary policy. So they can debase your money whenever they want. They could call in £50 notes whenever they want. They can do whatever they want. So here's how to go from a losing saber to a winner of money. You have to understand that you do not get rich with cash money. You get rich with investments and assets. So you need, of course, you earn in cash money. But by the way, if someone said to me, Rob, would you like me to pay your salary this year? 20% um, cash, 80% real estate or 100% cash. I'd take 80% real estate immediately because I've got nil period of having to convert cash into real estate. And the time it takes me to convert cash into asset is the de depreciation phase. And if they bang up inflation or it goes up uncontrollably like it has, I could lose money. But of course, they don't pay you in assets. They pay you in money.
because money is the universal exchange of value. So money's a great tool, but it's degrading in your hands, falling through like sand. So here's what you need to do. Number one, you need to forget saving and you need to, to start investing and building assets. Saving's good for two things, but not what your parents taught you and not what the school teaches you. The school system and your parents teach you, oh, save the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves. You know, you want to save for your future. No, this does not work. Money goes down. Cash money is trash. Cash is trash. So the two reasons you would save money. One, to teach yourself the discipline to stop spending. Two, to build enough of a pot to immediately invest. So savings and checking on current accounts are there just for your basic amenities and living. You need it. You know, you need to buy your drinks and your train tickets with your, your tap pay. You need some money, of course. I'm not saying zero. You can't get away with zero. But you want minimal amount of cash. And then once you've saved and you've got a pot, you need to invest it into assets. Now, there's an investment and an asset are different. An investment is something that you invest to protect from inflation for a future return or retirement or capital growth. An asset is something that you invest in that produces income. So your own home is an investment, but not an asset. It doesn't produce you income because you've got to pay the mortgage, but it is an investment because it doubles every 12 to 15 years and the refurb that you put into it is a better use of cash than putting it in the savings because it could add value. And there's other useful utility of owning your own home. Minimize cash, minimize savings, maximize investments, maximize assets. Money makes you broke. Assets make you rich. Savers are for losers and assets and investments are for winners. Savings and cash money go down in value. Assets and investments go up in value, but the assets also produce income. So as an example with real estate, with real estate, you can own the physical property. You can rent it out and get a recurring income stream. And you can get the capital growth of doubling every 12 to 15 years. And you protect it from inflation so you don't get the devaluation of cash money. And you can get a good debt mortgage and you can leverage by a factor of roughly four to one. So you can play the, the banks at their own game. So the banks want your savings to invest and give you a, a negative return. But instead, you can keep all your savings, invest them in assets, and borrow the bank's money and put them into property and leverage their money for a positive return. You're just playing the banking system at its own game. So the more you learn, the more you earn. And the more you get out of depreciating cash money and into appreciating assets, the more income streams you have, the multiple income streams you have, you beat inflation, you grow your wealth, and you have financial freedom. And you've got financial security, financial freedom, and financial abundance. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. 